If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but... What is God's spirit? Yeah, so the spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. So you feel that inside you? Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply. That too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes. And the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. This story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's spirit. And so today, the spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. Ruach, God's persistent, powerful, and personal presence. 
The continual existence of the Spirit is evident throughout Scripture. In the first few lines of Genesis, we see that the Spirit is present, hovering over the surface of the waters, helping to sustain all that was being created. We see this in Genesis 1-2. We then see God breathe life, ruach, into the nostrils of man, as Adam was crafted from the dust of the ground and Eve from the rib of Adam. This is in Genesis 2. Now, the vitality of the Spirit would soon seem to diminish as Adam and Eve eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this introduces the chaotic poison of sin into the world. This is what Genesis 3 is all about. This poison, it would begin to seep into the roots of all humanity, leaving humanity dazed and confused without any direction, without hope. Thankfully, the Spirit did not abandon those made in the image of God. He simply adapted, manifesting in more creative ways. The video that we just watched from the Bible Project, it explained that the Spirit makes His presence known throughout the narrative of the Old Testament by empowering individuals. He empowers them for specific tasks. Joseph is the first person in the Bible that this happens to. Now we're going to jump to his story. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible, open to Genesis 41. Here we are introduced to the Pharaoh of Egypt, who has become disturbed by two of his dreams. Pharaoh, he he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt, and when Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. One commentator writes this, The dreams were specifically designed to trouble Pharaoh and to stump all of his advisors. It was clearly meant to confound the wisdom of the world and expose the failure of human knowledge and ways. Speaking of failure, the failure of human ways, the text then states that finally the Pharaoh's chief cupbearer spoke up. Now look at verse 10. Today I have been reminded of my failure, the cupbearer told Pharaoh. Some time ago, you were angry with the chief baker and me, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. One night, the chief baker and I, we each had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. Uh, There was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. And we told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant. And everything happened just as he had predicted. I was restored to my position as cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's, that's unfortunate. <laughs> well, we must not dismiss the significance of this man's title as cupbearer. Historically, a cupbearer was an officer of high rank in royal courts whose duty was to pour and serve the drinks at the royal table on account of the constant fear of plots and intrigues, such as poisoning, a person must have been regarded as trustworthy to hold this position. So it makes sense that Pharaoh would hastily bring Joseph out from the prison to interpret his dreams. There's a lot of trust there. Uh, Humbly, Joseph tells Pharaoh that 
it is beyond his power to do this, but God can ease his mind and tell him what it means. And so Pharaoh tells Joseph his strange dreams about cows and grain. (laughs) Pharaoh's response to Joseph's interpretation certainly shows that the spirit was working this all together for a greater purpose. So let's read Joseph's interpretation and see the Spirit's movement for ourselves. Verse 25. Joseph responded, Both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heaths of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin, scrawny cows that came up later, and the seven thin heads of grain, withered by the east wind, represent seven years of famine. This will happen just as I have described it, for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward, There will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. And as for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God, and He will soon make them happen. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way, there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. Now, who do you suppose that intelligent and wise man to be put in charge of the entire land of Egypt was? (laughs) Yeah, it was Joseph. Verse 38. So Pharaoh asks his officials, Can we find anyone else like this man, so obviously filled with the Holy Spirit? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on the throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Wow. This story is a testament to the persistence of Ruach. Joseph was imprisoned for two years before being used as a a vessel for God in this situation. Now, I'm sure there were many times throughout the course of that imprisonment where Joseph felt that God was absent. Maybe you can relate. Maybe there was a time in your life where you felt as if nothing good could come out of your situation. Maybe you're listening today with this thought on your mind. Whatever that situation may be, know that even when we don't see it, the Spirit is working all things together for good. He is the way maker. 
relinquish control, and allow him to use you as part of his greater plan for the redeeming of the world. As we follow the movement of the Spirit throughout the Bible, we see that God's presence is not only persistent, but powerful. The Dictionary of Biblical Imagery states that the Holy Spirit fulfills an ongoing but invisible role of connection and communication between people and God. There's a group of people known as the prophets, uh, and these were God's key dispatchers throughout the Old Testament. The Spirit empowered these prophets to bring messages from God to the people of Israel and allowed them to see what was happening from God's point of view. As we learned earlier from the video, the prophets were also able to see a problem. While God's Spirit had created a good and perfect world, humans had given in to evil and unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. In a way, mankind had returned the earth to the dark, the dark, disordered state that it was that it was in when the Spirit of God was first hovering over it. The story of one of these prophets, Ezekiel, reveals the creative power of the Spirit, showing that God's restorative justice creates hope for the future. The story of Ezekiel, it begins five years after the first Babylonian attack on Jerusalem in 2 Kings 24. The Babylonians, they decided not to destroy the city, but rather hold many of the Israelites captive. Ezekiel being one of them. Now, it was Ezekiel's 30th birthday when the Spirit provided his first vision. I'm leaving out some more specific details here, but here is what Ezekiel saw. Uh, There were four living beings that looked human, except that each had four faces. Uh, A human face, a face of a lion, a face of an ox, and the face of an eagle. (laughs) And, and each had two pairs of outstretched wings with, uh, with human hands under each wing. And these beings, they moved on four wheels, uh, covered with eyes, carrying a throne with a figure whose appearance resembled a man, flickering like a fire, and all around him a glowing halo. <laughs> uh, pretty wild, right? <laughs> uh, although Ezekiel was understandably in shock, uh, he knew that this was God's glory, or kavod. It's a Hebrew word that is used to describe the physical manifestation of God's significance. But what was God's glory doing in Babylon? It's supposed to be in Jerusalem above the Ark of the Covenant. Well, the first 11 chapters seek to answer this question, as God sends Ezekiel to accuse Israel of breaking the covenant and warn them of their impending doom. And if that were not difficult enough, God tells Ezekiel that no one's going to listen to him. Can you even imagine that? How are things supposed to change if no one is going to listen? Well, as with every question we ask when reading the book of Ezekiel, in comes another vision to provide some clarity. This time, Ezekiel is provided a closer look of the idolatry happening at the temple, and he sees God's glory, Kavod, moving away from the temple, heading east toward Babylon. 
So in chapter 11, we find out that Israel's idolatry has driven God away. But God has not abandoned his people. Rather, he has gone into exile with them. And and this is where we start to see a glimmer of hope. As the Lord tells Ezekiel that when the scattered people of Israel return to their homeland, every vile image, every detestable idol will be removed. And God will give them singleness of heart, putting a new spirit within them. The Spirit will take away their hearts of stone and replace them with a tender, responsive one. And so that they will obey the decrees of the Father and truly be his people. Now, carrying on in chapters 12 through 33, we see the Spirit empowering Ezekiel to carry out this mission from God. Using parables and allegory, Ezekiel judges Israel from their debauchery proclaiming that they have reached the point of no return. Ezekiel then goes on to judge the nations, especially the states of Egypt and Tyre, accusing their kings of viewing themselves of gods. Ezekiel reminds these kings that God will hold them accountable for their pride and that he will use Babylon to bring them down. And sure enough, in chapter 33, we meet a refugee from Jerusalem who tells Ezekiel that Jerusalem has fallen to the hands of Babylon and the temple is destroyed. Another vision come true. And this news raised a question. Uh, Was God done with Israel for good? We know from the end of chapter 11 that this is not the case. God promised that there was a future beyond exile for Israel. And this message of hope for a better tomorrow is carried through the rest of Ezekiel's story. As God promises to raise up a new David, a messianic king who was going to be the kind of leader that Israel needed but never received. This new Israel under new rule is going to be a transformed people as God is going to place his spirit within them, giving them new hearts to cure their rebellious ways. It is Ezekiel's next strange vision that helps unpack this imagery a little more. Echoing God's breathing life into Adam, Ezekiel gives us the vivid image of the Holy Spirit blowing on the dead and their coming to life. In his vision, Ezekiel sees a valley of dry bones. And this is a metaphor for Israel's spiritual state. And he sees these bones grow tendons, flesh, and skin at the command of God, and then rise to their feet alive at his breath. God explains Israel's only hope. I will put my spirit in you and you will live, and then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and that I have done it. God continues working to redeem all of creation by the power of his spirit overcoming the forces of evil, and, as the final vision of Ezekiel presents, ushering in a new garden city where Kavod may rest eternally with his people. And what a glorious day that will be. The persistence and power of the Spirit, it continues to shape the minds and hearts of people throughout Scripture turning them from their wicked ways and bringing them into the realization that God is who he says he is. However, it it is through King Jesus where God's presence is made personal 
to all who believe. As King Jesus begins his ministry, we see him head to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. This is in Matthew 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need not be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? Jesus answered him, Allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. And when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. And the heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Just as the Spirit empowered Joseph and Ezekiel for the work ahead of them, God's personal presence was made manifest in the person of Jesus. The persistence and power of the Spirit is undeniable as King Jesus carries out his mission of healing the human condition and starting a new creation. And just look at all of the miracles our King was able to perform by his Spirit. We see in John chapter 2, 1 through 11, Jesus changed water into wine. It's the first of his signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, the great hall of fish that led to James, John, and Peter to believe and follow Jesus, becoming fishers of men. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45, Jesus healed a leper, restoring him to community. Matthew 8, 23 through 27, Jesus calmed a furious storm by simply telling it to stop amazing his disciples as they ask, what kind of man is this that even the winds and waves obey him? Matthew 14, 15 through 21, Jesus fed at least 5,000 people with only five loaves of bread and two fish, and there were 12 basketfuls of leftovers. John 11, 1 through 46, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead after being in a tomb for four days. In Luke 24, 5 through 6, Jesus rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And these are just the miracles that were recorded. (laughs) John, he reminds us in his gospel that Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. (laughs) And this is especially true because the ministry of Ruach did not stop here. In the first chapter of Acts, the author tells us that during the 40 days after King Jesus suffered and died, he appeared to his apostles from time to time, proving to them in many ways that he was alive and talking to them about the kingdom of God. King Jesus commanded his apostles to not leave Jerusalem until the Father sent the gift that he promised. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And then King Jesus leaves his apostles with this message, Acts 1, verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has this time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? 
He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And here is how the gift of the Spirit was presented. Acts 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the, the province of Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts uh, to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, They're just drunk, that's all. <laughs> there always seems to be a critic, right? Well, Peter then preaches to the crowd. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. 9 a.m. in the morning is much too early for that. <laughs> no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon 
will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter continues by quoting Psalm 16 to assure the crowd that the death, burial, and resurrection of King Jesus was also foretold, and that this solidifies the promise that was upheld at Pentecost, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. The words of Peter, empowered by the Spirit, pierced the hearts of the crowd, and about 3,000 in all repented of their sins, were baptized, and turned to God receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Hallelujah. The apostles were given their mission and empowered by Ruach. They began making disciples who would continue to make disciples. And this trend continues today as the power of the Spirit persists in those who choose to believe in the humanity and divinity of King Jesus. God's personal presence abides within believers, coming alongside us to guide into all truth and to help us in our weakness. His personal presence comforts believers, joining with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children, Romans 8, 16. He is our perfect advocate before a holy God, and he intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words, in harmony with God's own will. Romans 8, 26 and 27. And the Holy Spirit also acts as a personal companion, a friend of sorts, helping us to realize what is wrong so that it can be put right. Now, if you are a believer and you trust that the Spirit resides in you, do not keep him contained. Although he is personal, he is also communal. And by his power, act on what Jesus has commanded you to do as his disciple, to make disciples who make disciples. Live by the fruit of the Spirit with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this will surely pull you out of your comfort zone. But in taking on these characteristics, you are helping others to see something in you that they wish that they had in themselves. So if you're listening today and you've not taken that next step of asking God's personal presence to reside in you, please reach out to us. You can email us at connect.blendville at gmail.com or call or text the church at 417-623-7312. We want to help you take the next step in making King Jesus a part of your life by his Holy Spirit. Ruach, God's persistent powerful, and personal presence. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your persistent, powerful, and personal presence in our lives, God. Help us to be empowered to go and to make disciples who make disciples. To truly use the gifts and the talents that you've given us for your greater purpose. We thank you for King Jesus and for making a way for us to now become citizens of that kingdom, that kingdom that we patiently await to rest with you. We love you. It's your name we pray.